Well, good morning, Redemption. My name is Warren, one of the pastors. Glad to be with you as we are continuing along in our We Want a King series. Glad you guys are here. I know you guys love Jesus more than you love football. So shout out to you guys for being here. Some of you guys are like, you know, I timed this, so my team plays later, so I can make sure I came to the nine. But so glad to be with you as we continue on in our We Want a King series. You know, there's no place like home. When we say that, we, it's, a, it's a saying, it's a phrase that we can like, easily resonate with, right? And there was a story I came across recently that like, really crystallized this for me. It was a story about this family. Their name was the Grays. It was a family, mom and dad, six kids, big family, family of eight, loved the Lord, loved each other. Um, they were having some like financial struggles, as you can imagine, with a family just that size, but just kind of chugging along. And they continued that way until, unexpectedly, their family grew, right? Kind of grew similar to what we just heard in our spotlight. They actually adopted three more kids because what happened was a family member of the dad was slain, and they had three kids. And so the Gray said, hey, we want to take them in. And their family of eight now became a family of 11. And so they had the financial struggles, right? But that was actually just a part of the other things, the other struggles that were happening in their life. Because part of their struggle was that they had this, they were living in a 100-year-old house that was just falling apart. Plumbing was falling apart. Roof was deteriorating. Mold growing. Falling apart every single which way you could turn within the home. And the problem was, that there, there were some dangers that they were running into, right? One of just the reality of the, un, the instability of the home. But besides that, the state was actually about to step in and say, hey, we might have to remove your children from this situation because the home is just like so unsafe. So the grays, they find themselves in this tough predicament. Right? Their house is falling apart. They have the threat of homelessness, the threat, their family coming apart. And so they say, hey, we don't have the means within ourselves to like do these repairs. It's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. We got to figure something out here. We have to turn elsewhere. And so what they did is they reached out to one of those home makeover shows. I think it was like Extreme Home Makeover or one of those shows. And they said, hey, like, here's where we're at. Here's what the problem is. Can you help us? And the producers were moved. And so you guys know how it goes. They bring the crew and, you know, they, they, the, the family meets them. And then the dad walked them around the house. He showed them all the areas that were falling apart. And they said, all right, dad, go to Disneyland. We'll take it from here. And they got to work, right? And one week later, one week later, the grays came back to their house. And this is where the, the heartstrings really get tugged as we're watching these things, right? This is when the tears start welling up in my eyes. And Jordan's like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing. <laughs> But the grays came back, and they were just in awe, all of what had been repaired, all of what had been done to their home that was once falling apart. And here's the thing. It wasn't just that there were repairs done of the broken things. There were these extravagant additions made to the home. And so the home that could barely fit eight now would now comfortably fit all 11. It's amazing. And then the show kind of did what they always do, like when you're coming apart and just all emotional, they put a mic in your face, you know? And so they did that to the dad, because the dad was very emotional, seeing everything that had been done. And they asked the dad, okay, what are you feeling? What, 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 What are some of the things you're thinking about? 
And he made this point. He said, it's not just about having the house repaired, right? It's what this home means for my family, that now we can have a place of healing after what was just an extremely turbulent year for my family, that now we have a place of peace and security and comfort and our family can be together right, as we process all we've been. See, Father Gray there was crystallizing the power of home in his words. When we say there's no place like home, we may visualize maybe some place we've lived before or maybe something we desire to have in the future, but we know that there is an importance right, on having a place to call home. I think it's a good image for us this morning as we move into our passage today. Because we're going to be talking about the power of home. We're going to be talking about it as we come across King David. And King David's desire today as we dive into God's word is he wants to build God a home. Wants to build God a house. But what we'll see is that God actually says to David, I'm going to build you a house. And so the title for our sermon this morning is The Builder and the Blueprints. So that's where we're going excited to jump into God's word. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the gift that is your word. God, open our hearts, minds to receive the goodness that comes when you speak to us. God, uh, Lord, let your spirit just be moving through this place. And God, help us to come to a greater understanding so that we can be more faithful followers of you. In your name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 7. That's where we're going to be camping out today, 2 Samuel 7. It says this, Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, excuse me, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the first thing that we see is that David says to God, I'm going to build you a house. David says, God, I'm going to build you a house. And so where we find David is he's at rest, right? He's no longer facing the internal enemies, all the civil war stuff that Josh preached about a couple of weeks ago. That has subsided. The Philistines, the Malachites, the surrounding nations, they're no longer knocking at his door. God has given him rest. And so he's got some time now to just think about circumstances. He's gotten that desirable work-life balance that we all want. Just hanging. And so he's thinking about things. He's got some time as he's considering his circumstances now, right? Because somewhere along the line, right, as he's been enthroned as king, he's built himself a house. He's got a house of cedar, cedar house. And so he's got the cedar house and he's thinking about, you know, just maybe how much he's been through and how God has just elevated him to this wonderful position. He didn't expect this to be a part of his story of his life. And he's there and he thinks about himself being in a palace, right? 
And yet the Ark of the Covenant, the representation of God's presence to his people was in a tent. He's in a palace and his mind, God is in a tent, right? So he's thinking about this. He's probably thinking about it in light of what was the expectation of a people and how they were supposed to treat their gods, if they were following a God. If you were following a people following a God, you were supposed to build your God an extravagant, wonderful temple. And in return, what that God would do is he would, the, the belief was, would be that he would bless you with his presence. He'd bless you with prosperity. He'd bless you with security. But you better make sure that you've built that extravagant temple and that you are making the necessary trips there to exchange the gifts. That would be what would appease the gods. That would, be, that would ensure that the gods would even want to be around the people. And so David's probably got some of that context in his head, right? He's saying, hey, like, am I dishonoring God by just living in this palace while he's in a tent? And so he goes to the prophet, prophet Nathan. I don't know if he went and said, like, hey, Nate, let's talk about this. He went to Nathan. He said, hey, Nathan, I, I, think, I think we need to build God a temple. Right? And Nathan's like, my boy, you're killing it right now. Yes, go do that. Build the temple. Right? And so he, got to, he has it in his head he's going to do that, but then Nathan is visited by God later that night. And God comes to Nathan. He's like, Nathan, I heard that conversation you were having earlier. Let, let's unpack that. That's how we talk. Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that a little bit. And so God goes to Nathan and says, hey, you know what? I don't remember ever asking David, or Saul, or Samuel, or Moses, or Abraham, or anyone that I've raised up that I'm raising them up so that they can pay me back someday. I haven't asked for a house. I'm just fine. I like this current arrangement on the move. And so God says to to Nathan, he tells Nathan to tell David, hey, I haven't asked for this. I wasn't expecting a payback for making you king. God's not saying, hey, David, it's time for you to take over. The break's over now. It's not what God's saying. And it made me kind of think about an episode actually in my life recently. So uh, my wife and I, our family, we just moved to a house in West Mesa, just bought a house up the street. West Mesa's in the building. Yes, yes. Um, And, you know, it came after a long season of just like, prayer and just asking God to provide this Phoenix market is crazy. I keep hearing about interest rates. Ah, it's like so much, you know? And so we had this desire to lay down deep roots and more than just praying for a house, right? Not just praying for a physical house. What we were praying for was that God would build a home where his peace would permeate, the peace of Christ would just fill the house and people would come to know just the goodness of God through hospitality and so forth. Just God's presence would be so felt. So that's what we pray for, right? And then God, grant, God answered our prayer, right? And he received this gift of a house. Um, so we moved in in like early July. I got my RC to help us. That's how I knew they were real ones because they helped me move in the middle of July. I was like, hey, if you need a reason to join community, guys, like, just saying, you know, pizza covers a multitude of uh, uh, anger and yeah, all that. So they helped us move in and I remember just my attitude as I got in that house. As I got into the home, I started to like look around. There were some things, there were dreams that I had for the home. And all of a sudden, like 
all of a sudden I was like, all these things that I wanted to do, it's not like I wanted to do them like over a year. They had to be done that week. So the studio, right? You guys know I make music and all that. The studio had to just be like this amazing studio where the lights would just be such a vibe. And that would usher in just the presence of God as artists come and reflect the creator in their art. The backyard had to be a jungle paradise in the middle of the desert. Right? And that way, people would come and feel just the comfort and the presence of God as they sat in my Arizona version of Central Park. Right? And it was thing after thing, thing after thing that I had to do. And in my mind, it just became, hey, if we don't do this, then people will not feel comfortable. If we don't do this, then all the things that we prayed for won't come into being. And then I, my wonderful wife, Jordan, she had a few words of wisdom for me. I drove her crazy. That's a hard thing to do. Like, I actually put that on my bucket list because she's like, she's very emotionally stable. But she came to me and she said, hey, Warren, Warren, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you remember what we prayed for? Do you remember those nights where we were asking God, not just for a house, but to build us a home where his presence would just permeate it? And so somewhere along the line, right, I got in my mind that like I had to fill the house with as many things. And what we actually prayed for is for God to fill the house with his presence. What we actually prayed for was for him to fill it, not just with things. And his presence can fill an empty house or a house that's full either or we asked for him. I and my strength was not going to be able to do that. And so what Jordan was saying is, hey, we've received this gift from God, but don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. In my frustration, in my anxiety, as my anxiety was revealing my idols, I was missing the point. I was thinking how we often think, because we get into, sometimes in our minds, we get to thinking, hey, that my sweat, that my hard work, that my effort is ultimately going to be what serves as a payment for God's goodness in my life. And when we get in that sort of mindset, right, we got to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says that there was a debt over our lives, right? There was a debt that we had that could never be paid by our sweat. It was paid by the blood and sweat of our Savior. And so it doesn't mean that we don't put forth effort in our walk with Jesus, right? It doesn't mean that. But we want to make sure that our effort is not an effort to earn God wanting to be in our lives, to earn God's love and his nearness and his presence in our lives. You may say, okay, how does this show up in our lives? I think it even shows up sometimes in even like <clears throat> practical ways or like thing, spiritual practices or disciplines that we engage in that are meant to be a means of experiencing the nearness of God. Let me talk to you. Even in like the, the way we treat God's word, right? Bible, God's word. How do we engage it? I think we can sometimes take two approaches there that kind of speak to this mindset of, hey, I have to do this to pay God back. We can treat reading our Bibles like, hey, maybe I haven't done this in a while. And since I haven't done this in a while, I haven't checked all the, 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 the boxes on my checklist and God doesn't want to be near me anymore. And the truth of the matter is you can't checklist yourself to grace. Can't do it. 
Or you may say, you know what, I've been in it, I've been going hard, I've been going harder than everybody else, I've been, you know, consistently having my time, and so God, you must do this for me. Both approaches miss the point. You see, God wants to dwell with us, and we engage in his word as a response to the truth, not because we think it's what's going to beckon him near us. You can treat the gift, we can treat the gift of Sabbath, right? I always, like, these different spiritual practices pop up over time, and it's like, I start to hear, like, are you Sabbathing? It's like keto or something, you know? <laughs> we could treat the gift of Sabbath, which is supposed to be a day of rest, where we relinquish, right, our control, our relinquish our need to feel like we need to do and do, right? And just say, God, you're in control, I'm going to rest in the finished work of Christ. We can treat that or approach that in two different ways that speak to this mindset. We can say, hey, you know what? On Sabbath, on my day of rest, I got to make sure I remove just as many things as possible. I got to make sure, first of all, that everyone knows I'm doing the Sabbath right. And, and, and if God knows, if God sees it, he'll be like, man, you're such an all-star. Here's a gold star for you. I want to be near you. Or we can say, hey, I'm not doing it. I haven't Sabbathed in a while, and all my friends are doing it. So maybe they're having a separate Jesus experience over there, and maybe I'm just like not really doing it for real. Again, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. God gives us this day of rest to pray and to play and to just, to just be because he is, because of what he's done. These practices are not meant to be guilt-driven exercises to say, hey, I have to do this because now I need to, or I feel the need to level with God. We can't do that. Thank God we can't. We are not in a give-to-get relationship with God. He gives, we get, and we worship. Jesus doesn't keep the receipts. Jesus doesn't keep the receipts. He loves you because he loves you, not because of how much you're going to build for him. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Out of the mouth of children, y'all. Come on. <laughs> what God does is he takes our lives into his hands, to his loving arms, and our lives become his building project from start to finish. As we continue with him and we continue in our passage, this is what David experiences. Continue with me in 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 11. It says this. Now, therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you may be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Hmm. And so David hears God say, David, you aren't the builder, I am. God is the builder. And so God has more to remind David of. Right, he tells Nathan that, hey, David needs to remember. When David thinks that he has to take care of God, God reminds David who's been taking care of who here. 
God has been the experience builder of David's life. He created him, and he just didn't create him and said, on your way now. He's continued with him. He's gone where he has gone. God reminds David that he's always been with him. He was with him when he was chasing around the sheep in the pasture, trying to protect them from wolves and bears and lions and whatever would try to kill them. God was with David when he was anointed king, the unlikely choice among his brothers. God was with David when he went up against the giant Goliath. You see, that story is often described as David versus Goliath, but it's really God versus Goliath because God was there. God was with David as he was running from place to place, cave to cave, afraid for his life. And Saul was pursuing him. God was there. God was with David as he was going through all the turmoil of civil war and other countries coming or other nations surrounding that were trying to defeat him. God was there. God has been with David in his story. And he tells David, I will continue with you. I will be with you as you lead my people. I will continue. I just didn't put you here, and now I'm going away. I'm going to continue with you. I'm going to plant you. I'm going to plant the people. And you are still. You don't have to carry me. I'm still going to be the one carrying you each step of the way. God has been with David and will continue with him. Do you know that there's a God who goes with us? There's a God who just didn't create us, but continues with us. I was thinking about that this week as I recounted just what this week means in the story of my life. It's an emotional roller coaster of sorts. I'm about to let you guys in, so strap in and buckle up. Here we go. So first of all, th- this week, so let's start with today. Today is 9-11, right? And on 9-11, you guys know, many of you guys know I'm from New York, I'm from New York. See, the accent came out there. <laughs> from New York. Uh, 9-11 was a day I remember very vividly. Um, my dad worked near the towers. He came home covered in dust. Um, I walked home with my best friend, Corey, that day. The school just kind of said, hey, the world's going crazy, so just head home. Um, and they sent us on our way. And I, just, I still have a lot of trauma. I remember what it was like for the families looking for loved ones. I remember that day very vividly, even 21, day, 21 years later. That's today. Also, this past week, Jordan and I, we celebrated our fifth-year wedding anniversary, our five-year wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah, something to share for you. That's cool. So it was that, right? And then on the other side of that, this week, um, I remembered the passing of that friend, Corey, um, who was tragically slain a year ago. That happened this week. And on the other side of that, uh, this week is actually my eight-year anniversary of having moved to Arizona, and so there's a lot of celebration in there. Ups and downs, all the way. Emotional roller coaster. It was a lot of moments of great celebration, and moments of some deep pain still. But here's what I know throughout all of what I've experienced. I know that maybe in the moment I didn't feel this, But when I look back on those moments of my life, I know God was there. I know God was there. I know he's been faithful, right? There have been seasons where there's just been unspeakable joy. There's been unspeakable goodness. 
And I know it was only by his hand. And then there were those seasons, demolition. It felt like everything around me was just falling down, falling apart. And I know God was there. I know he's been present in my story. He's been building me and he hasn't. He never went away. He was the strength in those hard moments beyond the strength that I had in myself to move through those times. And here's the truth of it. That's the nature and character of our God, church. That's how he moves. The God that has gone with David, the God that has gone with me, we're not just having some unique experiences somewhere in in some special place. It's the truth of your life as well. God goes with you. God goes with you as you go. He builds you as you go. Is there an area of your life where you walk in today and you say, God, you haven't been present here? God, you've been absent. Maybe you've turned your face away from me in this area of my life. Some of you are in that season of demolition right now. It feels like everything around you is crumbling. Everything around you is in the ruins. Families in ruins, marriages in ruins, financial, financial in ruins, emotional health in ruins, friendships that you had for a long time are in ruins. And you're wondering in that as life crumbles around you, God, where are you? And there was an image that came to my mind as I thought about that. I remembered the ruins of 9-11. And in those ruins, there was a uh, cross-shaped steel beam. Right? You might say, oh, that's like kind of cheap. No. That's actually a good picture of when our life is in ruins, we remember the cross amongst our ruins. That the cross is there reminding us of God's love for us. The cross is there showing us how far our God would be willing to go to make sure we are never alone in our ruins. God is present in your pain. God is present in the places where you think he can never show up here. Your life remains his building project. And this is the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is that the road that we have to travel on, right? It's not always smooth. But there's a calm that you can have knowing that you go with the Lord of the road. He is with you. That his presence is our best defense when the enemy tries to destroy us. God's presence is our defense. And so both in the seasons of joy, the seasons of where, where the unspeakable joy and God's goodness experience and, and celebration and the seasons in between where we think, ah, what, what am I doing here? No one sees me. What I'm doing is unimportant. And in the low seasons, we say, God, we're going to give you all of it. We're going to give you all of our life every season. And what we can know is that what God does is he takes the raw materials of our high seasons, our mid seasons, our low seasons. And what he does is similar to what that home makeover show does. He doesn't just repair. He brings extravagant beauty to people who entrust their lives into his hands. He builds beautiful stories that would ultimately speak to his goodness and speak to his faithfulness and speak to his presence in the lives of those who trust in him. You know, something we can't miss when it comes to what God is saying here. I want to make sure we even see this, right? God isn't interested in David's temple building project. Why? Because he's like, I like being on the move. I like being on the move. I like being where my people are. 
And that's the nature of God. God is on the move in our midst, church. He's wide awake. There's no area of your life where something comes up and he's going to be, you're going to be here and he's going to be over there. He's with you. He shows up to his people through his word, through prayer. As we experience him, he shows up. There's no corner of your life that's outside of his vision. And so if we know that to be true, what do we need to do? Often what it means for us to do, what we need to do is just put down our tools and say, God, I want you to be the builder of my life. I want your will in your way, not my own. And here's what we know as we do that, as we say, God, why surrender my life to your care? He will build us as we go. Amen. Here's the thing. We want God to be the builder of our life because we know that when God builds our lives, what he builds lasts forever. I saw a commercial. It was like, don't hire a Melvin. God is not a Melvin. What he builds lasts into eternity. That's what David's about to experience as we move into the last part of our message today. It says this in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So what we see here is that God gives David the blueprint for an eternal home, for what his eternal house is going to be. God gives David a permanent address. So God ups the ante with David. My God ups the ante and probably just totally blows David's mind here, right? Because he says to David, I'm not just building you a house that's going to last for 50 years or 60 years, 70 years. Like the queen just passed this week. She reigned for a long time. It's not, that was like 70 years. God's saying beyond that, I am going to give you a reign. I'm going to give you a house that will exist into eternity. And David, David understands how unlikely this is, right? It's like he's a military guy. He knows go out, you know, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. It's kind of just the way things, things go over time. But God makes this extravagant promise to David, and he says, hey, that will never happen to your house. It will continue into eternity. And so he says that there's going to be a son that comes through the house of David who's going to establish the house of God forever. Who is he talking about there? Right? The church answer is Jesus, because that's like the answer to everything, right? But, you know, it, it begs the question, right? Because you're like, well, it also goes on to talk about how in verse 14, this son's going to commit sin. Is that about Jesus? Is that about Solomon? Is that about another son of David? And the, the, the answer to that question, is it about Jesus, about Solomon? It's like both, about both, right? The Old Testament passages ultimately find their fulfillment in Christ, right? But they ultimately, they also point near. So there will be some sons of David who will come, the next being Solomon, 
who they're knuckleheads and God has to correct them. Right? But ultimately, there will be a son from the house of David who will need no correction because he will be the perfect, sinless son of God sent through the house of David. And so God tells David, right, I'm building you a house to eternity. You see, here's what David will never have to worry about. It's the thing that we all have to worry about on this side of heaven is just the erosion, the corruption, the decay that comes with time. You know, I was, I was taking a stroll around the neighborhood, and um, we don't have any HOA. I promise you it's just fine. It's just fine. I like it. So I was taking a stroll around the neighborhood and kind of looking at the different homes. Like, I love that there's no HOA again because I can paint my house pinstripes. I pay a lot for it, so I should be able to do what I want, you know? So I was taking a, taking a stroll, looking around at the different houses and stuff, and I came across, across this house. It was kind of just like remnants. I was like, oh, that's interesting, right? I was like, man, like, what happened here? I don't know what exactly caused that house to fall apart over time, but it was just the remnants of it. It looks like maybe there was a fire, maybe something else happened, but it was no more. And I was thinking about like, just like, wow, I wonder what that family was like, you know, as they moved in. Did they have some impatient dad who also thought home could be built in a day, right? What was the story? You know, what was the story? I wonder what happened here. So something happened, whatever it was, and that house is no more. And the thing is, that's not a unique state just for that house. That's not a unique thing that happened to that house. Right? Even if I added all those improvements I wanted to make to my house, eventually over time, things are going to start to break and fall apart and decay and be, you know, uh, a road. That's not the story of my house. That's the story of all our homes. Some of us experienced this, experienced this this summer as our ACs went out. Even if Chip and Joanna Games build the house, it's going to eventually decline. It's the story of homes, the story of kingdoms, it's the story of companies, the story of technology. I remember I wanted this Walkman back in the, the early 2000s. I was like $100. I went on eBay. It was like a dollar. You know, that's just how things go as time has its way. But God says to David, that's not something you'll have to worry about. And you know what? If that's just for David, that's a pretty cool story for him. Like, wow, I'm really glad you got that, Dave. But the truth is that promise that God made to David, that we all receive the benefits of it. Because that perfect, sinless son from the house of David, his name is Jesus. And the good news is that as he was sent through the house of David, that we have been established with God. And not only does David get a permanent address, but so do we. We get a permanent address. God has built a home for us in two beautiful, distinct ways. First way is that God builds his home within us. That Jesus says that we love, if we love him, we follow his word. Right? That the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit will be inside, will indwell us. His spirit will be in us and God will make his home in us forever. You see, God was fine with that current arrangement of the tent because he had in his vision the future arrangement of being indwelling with his people forever. 
And so God is with us. His spirit indwells us. And so the question then is, what does it mean for you to be a representation, a representative of God, of his presence as you go? What does it mean for you to be a representative of the unfailing house of God? So you go to your work, as you go to your classroom, as you go to your gym, as you go to all the places where God has allowed you to have a presence. What does it mean for you to represent the unfailing kingdom to people who are placing their trust in not a firm foundation, but a house of cards? Homes that decay, homes of, of status, homes of wealth, homes of politics, homes of all these other things that ultimately cannot provide the firm foundation, the, un, the, the, the things and the comfort and security of being a part of the unfailing house of God. What does it mean for us to show up in those places and represent that unfailing kingdom? You may say, okay, well, Warren, that's good and all. Right, that's pretty cool that God makes his home in us, but my physical body's like, I'm sick, I'm suffering. What about that? And you see, God didn't stop there. Just like he upped the ante with David, he ups the ante with us. Because what God says is not just is he going to be present with us here and now, but that he will continue with the relationship we have with him will continue into eternity. That he's built a home where he's ultimately leading us to fully in his presence, where the effects of sin and suffering and death will have no more effect on us. The effects and decay of time will have no more an effect on us. That those things will be put in their place and they will never leave it. That's where God is leading us to. And so Paul, he says it so beautifully in 1 Corinthians. He says, hey, what we're suffering now, the experiences of pain, the experiences of demolition that we're suffering now, right, are far outweighed by the glory that awaits us. To the home where God is ultimately leading us to. So we repent and we turn to him. He's leading us to a new and beautiful home fully in his presence. That's where our God has taken us, church. Jesus is coming back, right? And he is leading his people to that place fully in his presence. And so Jesus, son of God, sent through the house of David, God makes his home in his people. And he's ultimately leading his people to the home fully in his presence. And in all of this and everything that we've talked about today, we experience the heart of our heavenly father. Keeps his word, keeps his promises. He's faithful, faithful to the end. And he refuses to be without us. Refuses to be without us. This is the heart of the builder. And this is the blueprint for his life that he wants to have with you for eternity. Builder and the blueprint. And so now we come to the table. Come to the table where we remember everything we've talked about, the, the reality that we are able to be sons and daughters of the Father's house was because of the sacrifice of our older brother, Jesus. That in him, 
sacrificed his body, his blood shed for us so that we can have this existing relationship into eternity with our heavenly father. And so we take communion each week, remembering his work, his sweat, his payment for us. And so we're going to respond in remembrance. We're going to respond in communion. We'll also respond in worship. David, after hearing everything that God had promised him, worshiped God. And so I'm going to pray and close out this part of our service. After I finish praying, I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to come forward for communion as the Spirit leads. And let's respond in worshiping our good, good Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the gift of an identity, the gift of belonging, God, that we belong to a house God, unfailing, where time, Lord, does not have its way, that we exist with you, God, when we place our trust with you, when we turn to you, God, you keep us in your hands forever. And so, God, I pray that that vision God would help us as we go from our day to day, remembering that our current arrangement is far outweighed by our future arrangement of life totally with you. And so God, lead us now and worship for all of who you are, what you've done, the fact that you remain with us to the very end. We love you, God. Amen.